Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Week 11 Recap Podcast. My name is Pat Crane, and in just a few moments here, I'm going to be joined by everyone from the Rotor World team who covered the game scores this week. We're going to be diving into all the context that you need to know for your fantasy teams. Let's get to the games. The Lions defeated the Giants 31-18 to in a game where Saquon Barkley was held to 1.5 yards per carry. Lawrence Jackson, why couldn't the Giants get anything going here with Barkley? Yeah, well, um, the Lions made it clear that they was coming in this game and was fully committed to shutting down Saquon as they know that he's the uh, engine that carries this offense. And pretty much you've seen, you've seen how it goes. Like if Saquon can't get going, the offense is going to have a tough time doing anything. And while Daniel Jones didn't play bad, you know, once your best player is limited, there was really nobody else you know, to make the big splash play. So they held Saquon in check, and it like he never had a shot, like never on no plate whatsoever. Yeah, Daniel Jones led the team with 50 rushing yards. He had seven carries. He got in the end zone here. Saquon Barkley rushed 15 times, but only for 22 yards. Doesn't score. Adding insult to injury, Matt Breda gets a rushing touchdown. The backfield's only rushing touchdown in this game, three for 13 with that touchdown for Breda. So pretty rough day on the ground. Through the air, um, Daniel Jones did go for 341 yards. He throws two picks, but uh, throws one touchdown. That went to Richie James. Now, I think it went to Richie James in part because Wandale Robinson left with a knee injury. Tell me about that. Yeah, so uh, Wandale Robinson was having a great game, actually. Matter of fact, he was that Giants player that, you know, kind of stepped up, but – just wasn't enough and uh yeah Daniel Jones had the two interceptions uh one was really bad but a great play by Aiden Hutchinson the defensive end um the touchdown to Richie James came with uh, four minutes to go in the game game was already out of hand you could chalk that up as a garbage TD um it helped uh Daniel Jones's uh his fantasy uh, stats for the day but yeah uh, Richie James that other than that play you know he really wasn't uh, much of a factor uh, Darius Slayton was however uh, he saw 10 targets which was his highest of the season he had a couple of good uh, catch and run plays there yeah and the 
Well, on the knee injury, it seems that initial reports, uh, uh, Jordan Renan was was saying that um, it could be a serious injury for Wondell Robinson. Something to something to keep an eye on uh, for yeah, him. He on crutches. There you go. Okay, so not not good for the rookie uh, who was having pretty good game nine for one hundred. Yeah, for Wondell Robinson, uh, Darius Slayton second on the team with five for eighty six on ten targets and thirteen targets for for Wondell Robinson leading the team. Uh, on the Giants side of this, <laughs> we had three touchdowns for Jamal Williams here. Uh, he now leads the NFL in rushing touchdowns, I believe, with twelve. Uh, but DeAndre yeah. Swift also got in the end zone. Yeah, so much like Richie James's last touchdown. Uh, DeAndre Swift's touchdown was kind of like charity. Uh, it came at the very end. Uh, you you could tell they was just trying to get him and uh, uh, build some morale for him because they they gave it to him twice and then he got stuffed two times at the goal line. And now it kind of makes sense why they always use Jamal Williams at the goal line. But what's even more interesting is that once again Justin Jackson played ahead of DeAndre Swift. DeAndre Swift was the third running back for the Lions to Mm -hmm. enter the game and get a touch. And and, uh, Jackson was also the lead in Russia today for them. Uh, He had some explosive plays, but it's real tough for Swift, man. He just not getting in the game, not being able to get in the rhythm. And he really is the – I mean – he looked like he the third string running back right now. That's what the numbers and what you're seeing, what we're seeing is telling us that he in a three man committee and he looked like number three. That is not great. Uh, Justin Jackson, as you mentioned, had some had some long runs, led the team with a 27 yard run. That was the longest of the day. He also led the team with 66 rushing yards. Jamal Williams, not far behind with 64 and he gets the three touchdowns. Swift, just 20 rushing yards does score but yeah it's uh it's i mean it's just so so disappointing for deandre swift managers um i'm st brown here doesn't score hasn't scored since week two but seven for 76 on eight targets kind of keeps doing his thing you know that ppr wide receiver option you know decent start uh led led the team with 76 yards khalif raymond pretty far behind with just 33 any thoughts on this passing game yeah, just, you know, Jared Goff only threw for 165, but he didn't really need to do much when the offense was running for 160 total yards. So it kind of made sense that you had your stud receiver. He's the only one who had a decent game. Khalif Raymond did see seven targets, but he didn't do much with it. Other than that, there was nothing going on in the passing game. Uh, DJ Chart came back, one target no stats so mm-hmm. yeah it was just you know whenever they needed a play you know he cons- uh golf consistently found uh saint brown and every now and again khalif raymond yeah i think this is maybe indicative of or a reminder of kind of who the lions would prefer to be when things are going well they win this game pretty easily but jared goff just throws for just 165 yards so uh, it's kind of like the lines yeah. are fun but only because they're usually losing yeah, and look, and, and now you notice the Giants lose, and in a big way, and now Daniel Jones throws for 341 yards, which, mm. again, a lot of that came in catch-up time. So that's fantasy for you. There you go. All right, Lawrence Jackson, I appreciate it. All right, man. 
The Commanders defeated the Texans 23-10. to And Zachary Kruger, this was a game where the Texans threw a pick six on their second offensive play of the game. Yeah, they did. Uh, Kendall Fuller uh, happened to pick off Davis Mills on his second pass attempt of the game, uh, which was also his second offensive play of the game, as you mentioned, for the for the Texans. Stared down Brandon Cooks on the play, tried to hit him on the right side of the field. Kendall Fuller really just kind of had an easy pick, jump on the ball from the from the get-go. Um, and, it, and it was exactly what you'd expect to, to come from a, a defensive back jumping around and getting ahead of the receiver. Basically ran untouched to the end zone. It was an easy score because it was so early in the game. Obviously, Houston didn't have uh, the ball pushed too far down the field, so it was an easy score from that perspective. Just a pretty disastrous day all around for the Texans. We can get a little bit more into it um, as, as we break this game down a bit, but not a great day for Davis Mills. We should definitely start there with the pick six. Two interceptions total on the day. Their only touchdown um, in, in the loss came on a Davis Mills four-yard rushing touchdown with about two to three minutes to go in the fourth quarter basically salvaged what, what little bit of dignity they had left with that one. It, 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 it was not a great day for Houston. Um, Damien Pierce underwhelmed a lot as well. Ten carries for eight yards, no touchdowns, one catch for, I think, nine additional yards, um, two catches for nine additional yards, but just <laughs> not a good day to be a Texan, which is, which is, which is unfortunately a rather uh, evergreen saying. Is there anything to add there with Pierce? Because, I mean, 10 carries for eight yards is just so, so bad. And he's – He's been really impressive this year, you know, like I, I was watching him last week and just came away really impressed with his acceleration. Uh, it definitely doesn't have a long speed of, you know, some of the elite backs in the league, but like, you know, just kind of profiles of someone who could be like a really elite chunk play runner, I think, for a number of years. Um, and that, you know, he's been really good this year. So to see him held to eight yards, 0.8 yards per carry, it's just it's brutal. What What happened there? It is brutal, and, and I think really, if you if you just go back and, and you look at it and you watch the game and and kind of understand how this one played out, uh, first of all, Washington went in the halftime twenty to zero, so that so that's going to take away most of the ground game, anyways. But we also know that Washington has a truly dominant defensive line. They might have one of the best defensive lines in football with Montez Sweat, Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne. Like they have some studs up front who who have given offensive lines fits. All season long, I think when you know that the one really good thing about Houston's offense is their running game and is Damian Pierce, you're kind of okay with selling out to stop that. They did a really good job of doing that, following him up the line of scrimmage more often than not to bring him down. And then they kind of forced Davis Mills at times to beat him. He threw 33 times, but 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 he couldn't you know he couldn't get much going either. He was under pressure all day. Took five sacks on the afternoon. Um, so I, I think the story with Damian Pierce is really just a, a great offensive or a great defensive line in Washington finding a way to shut down the best part of the of the Houston offensive attack and, and doing so rather quickly while turning several possessions into points. Certainly the pick six really helped them kind of get out to uh, the early lead and dictate how they wanted to approach their defensive um, attack on the Texans offense, I think. That makes sense. Any thoughts on Brandy Cooks and Nico Collins? Because uh, targets were at least concentrated to those two. Six targets for Cooks, seven for Collins. Um, so there wasn't a ton of passing volume or passing success. Only 169 yards for Davis Mills here. No touchdowns. But uh, Cooks had three for 70. Nico Collins, five for 48. So, you know, it wasn't like a complete bust, even though the offense it was kind of a bust for the entire offense. Yeah, the the one thing I'll say about Brandon Cooks, which which the the three for seventy line looks decent. Uh, you know, he that that's his most receiving yard since I think it was in week eight against the Titans. So a rather decent day for him in the yards department. One interesting thing to note with that reception, 
um, or with that receiving line is his best play came on a 41-yard reception uh, where it was rather a short pass, uh, just a few yards beyond the line of scrimmage, where uh, Cooks was being covered by linebacker John Bostick, 85-year-old John Bostick, unable to stick with Brandon Cooks, who catches the pass already, was already moving, and, and then just simply cut up field and, and quickly evaded Bostick and, and turned the rather short pass into a 41-yard gain. So more than half of his yards came against a dusty linebacker, and we know okay. Brandon Cooks is going to win that matchup every time. So, so there's a little bit of context there. He, he, he beat an aging veteran who is struggling to find work in the league. So um, the, other than that, I would say as far as Nico Collins goes, he, he led the team in targets with seven. I was surprised to see that afterwards just because the, the rather underwhelming box score overall would not lead me to believe that he led the team with seven targets. Um, but but Washington's defense played a very good game both at the line, but then also um, in the secondary as well. I already mentioned that they had two picks. The second interception came on a nice play by Benjamin St. Juice. He broke up a deep pass to Brandon Cooks. Um, and then safety Derek Forrest came down with that one. They, they played a good game physically against the Texans wide receivers, while Davis Mills just had very little time to actually let, let things go, um, being under pressure as often as he was. So so I would, I would just say, you know, it, it's great that they're getting these targets. It's great that they're getting these looks. But this is still a bottom five offense in the lead that's going to be hard to trust for fantasy purposes, where I think at any given week, literally all the receivers have a floor of about one to two fantasy points and a ceiling of about 15 if they, if they end up scoring a touchdown yeah. or something. That makes sense. So on the Washington side of this, you know, they were in control of this game really from the start because because they got to pick six right out of the gate. Uh, 33 carries here for Antonio Gibson and Brian Robinson combined. 18 for Gibson, 15 for Robinson. Gibson goes for 72 yards, Robinson for 57. Neither one actually scores a rushing touchdown. Curtis Samuel scored the only rushing touchdown of the day. And then Taylor Heineke did not throw for a touchdown. So I feel like we're missing touchdowns here. Or they just kick a bunch of field goals. How they get to twenty three points? Well, you had the you had the pick six. Uh, obviously, that 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 gives you seven of your points there. After that extra point, you had the Curtis Samuel. That's another seven. And then yeah, there was a couple field goals by uh, by Joey Sly, who has recently come on to to prove himself to be worthy of a, of a fantasy start if you're in need of a kicker. He's, he's had a couple of big field goals of late. Um, but yeah, fourteen of those twenty three points came by way of Curtis Samuel and, and Kendall Fuller. So. Um, Washington has kind of shown their hand, I think, at this point in time over the last two weeks of wanting to be a team that is willing to stick with Taylor Heineke at quarterback. We know this. They said so before the game that it's pretty much his job to lose at this point in time. And then after winning last week's game against the Eagles with a run-heavy approach, they kind of went back to it again here. Not a lot of passing in the second half. As you mentioned earlier, 33 carries between Brian Robinson and Antonio Gibson. And I think they're going to just kind of be comfortable doing this for as long as they can keep getting away with it behind a good defense that's going to be able to shut down a lot of offenses. And then as long as the game script favors a run-heavy approach where they don't need to ask Taylor Heineke to do too much, I think the commanders are going to keep on doing that. Antonio Gibson had 103 total yards from scrimmage in this one, three catches for 31 yards on top of the 72 rushing yards. Um, He's easily the more explosive back between him and Brian Robinson. Brian Robinson in seven games has yet to crack 4.0 yards per carry in any game this year. He's pretty much getting stuffed the line more often than not. And really... Is is the true? Uh, I think the saying is three yards in a cloud of dust. He he he's three and a half yards per carry in a cloud of dust. Brian Robinson. <laughs> He'll probably break one eventually, but but the, I think it's going to be run heavy offense where a lot of touchdowns may not be um, something we see unless they end up getting pushed by someone somewhere along the line where they're forced to try to air it out a little bit more. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. I think that's very clearly what they're trying to do. And I mean, hey, it, it might work. You know, it's certainly worked here against the Texans, but it. It might work against other opponents because the the defense is really good. 
if Falcons on tap next week, the, the Falcons aren't exactly boat racing opposing offenses. I, I think that they can certainly give them a fit. And then I believe the next two games after that are, are both divisional games where they, they could end up facing a little bit tougher competition. But, but I, I think the defense has looked very good over the last few weeks. And then a couple games against bad offenses is only going to make them look better. And it's going to allow their offense to do what they want to do, which I think is going to be a run heavy approach. Um, Moving forward, I think Gibson and Robinson are both kind of um, low-end RB2s with the volume. And then if they get a touchdown, that's where they'll, they'll, they'll give you your weekly boost. But hard, hard to trust for fantasy points, but you can clearly see a path with so much opportunities. Any thoughts on the passing game? Terry McLaurin, seven targets here, which led the team, 455 through the air. Logan Thomas, though, led the team with 65 receiving yards on five receptions. He had six targets here. So those were really the only two like receivers with any yeah. real production, Antonio Gibson was third on the team with 31 receiving yards. Yeah, I, I think that at the very least, we can just kind of continue to say Terry McLaurin, the obvious wide receiver one. That, that's not a secret at this point in time. We know this. Um, but I think that um, on top of that, Taylor Heineke, clearly very comfortable with him, continues to make sure that he leads the team in targets every single week. He had seven targets this week. Um, but then the other nice thing, too, that we saw was, as you mentioned, Logan Thomas, who actually looked very good for a guy who has not had – a lot of offensive success so far through the season. He had a couple of nice contested plays. He had a couple of plays where he broke off large gains. I think on back-to-back drives, he had catches of 17 and 19 yards. Um, a few of those plays where he also bailed out Taylor Heineke and was kind of like the emergency dump off. Um, a little bit further downfield, Heineke ate some pressure, took a hit, and then got it off to Logan Thomas, who turned it into a, a, a worthwhile gain for the efforts that Heineke put forth to give him the ball. So um, Logan Thomas looked good. Is that going to be something that's sustainable over the course of the next several weeks? Who knows? Um, I, I think this offense has found ways to spread the ball around to a couple different players. You mentioned Antonio Gibson. He had some catches as well in this one um, on the day. So, uh I mean, what do we take away from this? Taylor Heineke is certainly limited physically. This this is an offense that I think is going to run the ball as much as they can. I, my, my takeaway would be that any time that they need to throw the ball, Terry McLaurin is probably more or less going to be locked into a top 12 week. But when are they going to need to throw the ball if, if, if the game is close and if the game script is going the way they want it to? Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. All right, Zach Kruger, thank you. Thanks so much. Have a good one. The Falcons defeated the Bears 27-24. to and Patrick Darty, this is a game where Cordero Patterson recorded his ninth career kickoff return touchdown, the most kickoff return touchdowns in NFL history. Yeah, and it speaks really to the disconnect between real football in the Hall of Fame and fantasy football in the Hall of Fame, though, because he didn't find the end zone on offense. He lost a fumble on offense. So, just frankly, we don't care about the NFL history at all, Cordero. Uh, no, I mean, it was amazing. He made an amazing read on the kick return. Uh, I mean, absolutely crazy stat. I mean, especially at his age, especially like how many teams, you know, how weird his career has been. So a great moment. But yeah, hasn't been a great fantasy uh, moment in three games since Cordero Patterson returned from IR. He had the two touchdowns in his first game back, but really nothing since. It seems like after he wore down last year, it seems like after he got hurt this year, they're kind of really trying to keep him in like the 10 to 15 carry range, which I'm sure is smart. Um, but it's kind of kind of curbing his appeal in fantasy. I once wrote an article that uh, Cordell Patterson, you know, don't worry about a slow start to his career because look at how good of a kick returner he is. He's going <laughs> to stick around in the league. And I mean, talk about just useless advice. <laughs> you know, he, useless he advice, but an absolutely amazing take. 
Yeah, but I mean, you never would have kept him on any dynasty rosters for about four or five years. Now, it did work out when he was in his 30s. So I guess it was a correct but useless stick. Yeah, I mean, any of these accountability accounts came for you in like 2015. You can come back, who's laughing now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, let's talk. Uh, let's talk the rest of this running game here. Tyler Algier led the way with 55 yards, but also didn't score. Uh, Caleb Huntley kind of phased out only one rush for four yards. Are we back to a two man committee here, at least. It looks like it. Huntley was begun to get phased out in week 10. And now, I mean, I don't even know what kind of committee to describe this as because Tyler Ogier has been under 10 carries in back to back weeks. So yeah, Huntley, by the way, from, uh, three games of Cordero, Cordero, uh, seven carries, five carries, one carry. So yeah, true phasing out. Well, like, yeah, Algier now has been under 10 carries back-to-back games. He did have the long gain today. It was a 26-yarder, but it was literally like the final real play of the game as the Bears were trying to sell out to get a stop. And I don't, I think they could have maybe gotten the ball back like five seconds. And he happened to pop a 26-yarder. Uh, without that, you know, it would have been you know, seven carries for hardly any yards at all, like you know, in the in the, the high 20s. Um, so really the only back you can trust is Cordero. Like I said, it seems like they're understandably again, trying to keep a cap on his touches, but we know he gets the high value touches. We know he's explosive play potential. And even with all 32 teams playing in week 12, Cordero can kind of remain like the low end, but probably more realistically high end flex range, low end RB two, I was going to say, but more like a high end flex for, for week 12. In the receiving game, Kyle Pitts suffered an injury in this game, took shots in the knee. Pretty scary-looking injury. Actually still led the team with 43 receiving yards, uh, three catches on five targets. What was the report on on his knee? Well, the, the visual on his knee was he took a shoulder to his knee while his leg you know, was kind of like planted. The really thing you don't want to see. But he did get up in fairly short order. He was doing some knee highs as he was going off the field. So that really didn't look like he had a torn ligament. But then he was kind of making his way gingerly to the locker room. The early reports, though, are no torn ligaments. Uh, MRI, of course, coming on Monday to confirm that. The Falcons are on – there's six teams playing on Thanksgiving. The Falcons are on normal rest for Week 12. They have seven days to get ready for uh, – I believe they're facing the Commanders. Uh, so Pitts, it's this kind of classic – the MRI will probably come back negative on Monday. Then we wait for the Wednesday injury report. And I would say consider Pitts truly questionable for Week 12. Yeah, but I mean, potentially a a really really best case scenario based on what we saw from the from the hit there. Yeah, but but, it, but yeah, it's I, I think we have reason for optimism with the best case scenario. He, he was. I yeah, just yeah. feel like you probably can't do a knee high if your ACL is not intact. I mean, I know you can do some crazy stuff if you don't have an ACL. Like I have a friend who tore his ACL, never got it fixed. He's out there playing basketball. Um, but this real useful advice, I know. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. It seems like he has avoided the worst case scenario. And now, for, you mean in the NBA, right? Yeah, yeah, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I th- my early gut is that Kyle Pitts will play Week Twelve. Okay. Uh, it's going to be the kind of thing that could come down to the wire, though. So Drake London here, three targets, only one reception for two yards, does score a touchdown. So that's important. But I mean, that doesn't that doesn't feel very good. No, especially since he capped off the Falcons' opening drive with the tutter. And it was a really, really good play. Marcus Mariota extended the play with his legs. Drake basically ran the entire length of the end zone at the back end of the end zone, got open for a nice catch, and then, yeah. This this receiver core for the Falcons has devolved into like a full-blown committee where Damier Bird is getting now weekly targets. Kaderil Hodge is getting weekly targets. 
when I say weekly targets, I mean like two to three weekly targets. But as we know, when the volume is this scarce, when you're trying to keep the quarterback, like at no more than 20 to 25 attempts, two or three targets, you that's that adds up very quickly. You cannot be seeding that. And it's just, he keeps making scored back-to-back weeks, Drake London, but you just, it's so impossible to say where the volume is going to come from. It will help if Kyle Pitts misses week 12, but we don't want that. Like I said, we have reason for optimism that will not happen. And so you're going to hear this theme a lot this week. First time in a while, all 32 teams have been playing. With all 32 teams playing, like Drake Lenning can be a wide receiver four, but he's one of those guys where ideally you will want to do better in your wide receiver four spot. Yeah, I mean, 20 attempts here for Mariota. So your point there about the target share, uh, yeah, I think is a really, really good one. Demir Bird had a 10% target share with with two targets. Not (laughs) ideal. Uh, On the Bears side, let's start with Justin Fields, who was carted off at the end of this game with a shoulder injury. Is that right? He well, so for the carding actually took place in the locker room after the game. Okay, uh, it was one of those games where it seemed like more like Fields' injury was putting the team on his back, like the kind of thing we would put in parentheses, where both his hamstrings seemed to be bothering him. In the second half, he was not really taking off to scramble. There, they they had like a fox had like a slow motion shot, like one of those like hamstring guns. I don't know what you call them, like just pounding at the back of Fields' leg. Oh like trying to get him loose. Then the shoulder, though, yeah, he was – after he slid, he took a big shot to his non-throwing shoulder. He was in, like, visible pain, but he did stay in the game. He finished the game, uh, but he seemed to be hurt. But he remained on the sideline till the end of the game. Like, he still did, like, the post-game scrum. And apparently, you know, he just, like, needed a ride once he was in the locker room. Uh, he said he was in a lot of pain, but he talked to the media, which you don't usually do, you know, if you're pretty worried, that kind of thing. So – Again, kind of like Kyle Pitts, like the early signs aren't like overly ominous, but he's another guy where like he's genuinely questionable. You can have hope that he will play, but you need to be prepared for the possibility that he does not play. And you also need to be prepared for the possibility that the the decision is taken very, very deep into the week. It was his left shoulder, right? Yes, not his throwing shoulder, thankfully. If he does play, it's against the Jets, by the way, which, you know, pretty good defense. So it's looking like maybe kind of an off week for Justin Fields. Yeah, seems to be headed that way. Jets, Jets defense seems like it's for real. Um, all right, let's talk David Montgomery, who uh, maybe I tatted a little bit this week, which didn't feel great. But, hey, 3.9 yards per carry. That's the Dave Montgomery experience. But he gets in the end zone, 67 rushing yards on 17 attempts. And then he adds another touchdown through – oh, no, that's Starnell Mooney. No, that, <laughs> he that <added>. <laughs> He added three receptions for 54 yards, which was a team leading 54 yards through the air on four targets. So he did add through the air, even though not the touchdown. Yeah, he got the quote-unquote tutty. Um, He got uh, over 100 yards from scrimmage for the first time since week two with Khalil Herbert on injured reserve. He handled 20 of 26 backfield touches, not not including Justin Fields, of course, uh, Treston Ebner, uh, it was not like a 1A, 1B situation. It was a workhorse and breather back situation. It was such a run-heavy team. You can maybe see Treston Ebner coming into a little bit bigger role. Khalil Herbert has to miss at least three more games. David Montgomery is now kind of getting used to a committee-type role. But, yeah, it, I think the workloads in a really, really run-based offense and an offense where defenses have to remain terrified of the quarterback's legs. He's no one's favorite RB2 but it seems like David Montgomery is going to kind of be locked into that RB 14 to 18 range. Yep. 
Darnell Mooney did score the only receiving touchdown here, going four for 29 on five targets with the touchdown. Cole Komet doesn't have any touchdowns here, and without the touchdowns, pretty unexciting receiving line for him after, you know, <laughs> some pretty great games over the last couple of weeks. Three for 35 on four targets for him. Uh, Chase Claypool, three targets here, two for 11. He seems like he's kind of in that same like part-time role. Or what, what were your thoughts on Claypool and the rest of this passing game? Well, apparently Claypool was up to third in routes for the first time. So he was only quote behind Darnell Mooney and Equiminius St. Brown. I can't remember who he was like behind before. I maybe like Byron Pringle or something. Uh, so he, I think he was because he was he had like it was in the twenties or thirties in terms of his route participation. So that's not great, but he is ascending finally. Uh, I mean, he's going to spike a, at least a big play at some point, maybe not a week, but again, with buy, there are still some buys after week 12, but with like the slates are getting much fuller. It seems like it could be a while for you're really going to want to get Chase Claypool in your lineup. Darnell Mooney, by the way, like the floor has been a lot higher with Justin Fields. I scored a few touchdowns. He hasn't had a ceiling week yet, but he was wide open for a 66 yard touchdown against the Falcons and Fields just barely missed him. And this was already, this was after he had already scored. So it's not like some like sliding doors, like, well, maybe if he'd scored that touchdown, he wouldn't have two touchdowns. It would have been his second touchdown. It would have been a humongous box score game. And it's hard to feel like that game is not coming because uh, it's just, no one has benefited more from this from Darnell Mooney, obviously. And he, he's getting the floor. I, I think it's pretty reasonable to expect a ceiling explosion for Darnell Mooney at some point. All right. That, that makes sense. All right, let's move to the Cowboys who defeated the Vikings 40-3. to uh, This was a game where we got more Tony Pollard. Uh, three straight games now with either 100 yards rushing or receiving from Tony Pollard, even though Ezekiel Elliott was back in this game. And he, was. he, got, he got 15 carries in this game, which matched Pollard. Uh, so it was really a matter of efficiency that was putting Pollard over the top here, which is kind of his thing. Yes, and of those 15 Ezekiel Elliott carries, Pat, you left out the very, very dispiriting fact that two of them were one-yard touchdowns, um, one of which after Tony Pollard. Well, I'm sure like, he set them up at the one, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, and one of them was, of course, after Tony Pollard set them up near the one-yard <laughs> line. So Zeke continued to get away with it. I mean, 15 carries, but we kind of speculated during the week, like we know Zeke's not going to go anywhere but then maybe we'll at least see like the 1A to 1B dynamic flip. And Tony Pollard did out-touch him 21 to 15. Uh, he produced 189 yards from scrimmage, by far a new career high. He scored two touchdowns of his own, uh, a 30-yarder and a 68-yarder. Both are a receiver. He was untouched on both plays. Uh, you know, these are like big-time yak numbers, and he it wasn't like he was like left alone. You know, it, it, there were plays where – he had a little bit of space, but then he had to outrun people, and he did just unreal. He's the accelerate. fastest guy on the field, yeah. pretty easily, right? Yeah, yeah, just unreal. At least he's like the fastest accelerator. Yeah, um, unreal acceleration and explosiveness, and yeah, ninety-eight yards worth of touchdowns where no one laid a finger on him. And there's gonna be weeks. I mean, of course, like a few weeks probably where Zeke still out touches him, but I think now the weekly expectation can be that Tony Pollard will lead in touches. He had to assuage some of like the coaching staff concerns about the kind of workloads he can handle because he handled them just fine, the two games without Ezekiel Elliott. Yeah, I mean, it's going to remain a two-man backfield, but I feel pretty confident calling Tony Pollard the 1A now. Uh, that's that's pretty exciting. I mean, yeah, 15 carries for him. Like If Zeke was out in this game, I don't know that we'd be expecting any more than 21 touches for Tony Pollard. Like That's kind of 
I don't want to say a ceiling, but I mean, that's like a good game, even if Zeke was missing. Obviously, there's a lot more rushing attempts in this game because they, they won 40 to three. Yeah. So, by the way, a 40 to three game and Zeke averages under three yards per carry, man. Like, I, I don't know what to tell you. We're all trying to figure <laughs> out what's going on in Dallas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Let's talk CeeDee Lamb, who had kind of a quiet game, five for 45 on five targets. Uh, not really much going in the the passing game at all on the Dallas side. Uh, both the touchdown, I guess, outside of Tony Pollard, but that's you know, you know, we kind of covered that. But both of Dak's Prescott, Dak Prescott's touchdowns went to Pollard. Throws for two hundred seventy six yards. The actual receivers really don't do a, a ton. Dalton Schultz only had three for twenty two on five targets. Uh, Noah Brown had two for forty two on two targets. Michael Gallup three for forty one. One four, so pretty quiet day from the receivers here. Yeah, pretty rare for a forty to three victory to uh, feature down games for everyone in the passing game. But CD Lamb, yeah, five for forty five, only the second time all year. So CD hasn't been spiking as many weeks as we would like. And only the second time all year he finished under fifty yards receiving. He made one of the plays of the day with a toe tap, twenty seven yard grab near the end of the first half. But yeah, it's twenty five attempts for Dak Prescott. Is Tony Pollard going nuts? There just wasn't anything. Uh, there's some short fields to the Cowboys, too. Kirk Cousins lost a fumble. Kirk Cousins took seven sacks. A lot of really bad mm-hmm. field position for the Vikings and good field position for the Cowboys. And the Cowboys up 30-3 to three really early in the second half. That just, like, short-circuited any chance at volume. Uh, but so Dalton Schultz had, had at least five catches for 49 yards. Each of Dak Prescott's first three starts back. Um, this is the first day he didn't reach those numbers. He had a drop. Uh, he could have a slightly bigger day. Michael Gallup, though, he's only averaging 31 yards in four games with Dak Prescott. Uh, maybe he's not healthy. Maybe it's just the volume. You, Michael Gallup's probably going to have a big game at some point, but it's the kind of thing like why would you wait around for that? And you can definitely do better in your wide receiver four spot than Michael Gallup right now. And You don't have to worry about CD, obviously, but – you do have to worry on a weekly basis, like maybe the Cowboys offense is just going to be too established. Uh, the defense will make too many big plays and just limiting the ce- the ceiling and spiked week potentials in an offense where like on, on paper, there should be lots of ceiling and spiked week potential. Yeah. I wasn't a huge fan of this uh, game environment. I, it was a semi-popular, you know, DFS target. And but the reason I wasn't is because I was worried about how the Vikings would do against this Dallas pass rush. And the answer was not well. You mentioned very poorly. Yeah, Cousins <laughs> took seven sacks, throws for 105 yards. Uh, pretty rough game here for Cousins, and it leads to no real production from Justin Jefferson. Only three for 33 on five targets, which is about a, as bad as it gets for an elite talent like Jefferson. Hawkinson led the team with five for 34 on nine targets, um, but obviously that's not a particularly strong game either. And then two for 25 on three targets from Adam Thielen. So it's pretty pretty bad here in the passing game, Pat. Yeah, and Jefferson, you want to blame it on the game environment because uh, it probably was the game environment, a second lowest output of the year. But it's hard just not to have the toe issue in the back of your mind because it was a six-game mm. stretch you know, where Justin Jefferson just went totally bonkers. I mean, it's basically a spiked week almost every – I think his, his low in that six-week span I think was like 98 yards. Uh, so it's hard not to think about the toe injury. But the quarterback completes 12 passes, takes seven sacks, loses a fumble. I mean, Lord knows how many drives that killed. Uh, you know, they're in obvious passing situations for more than half the game, making it easy for the defense. So even though 
you never you don't want to see that happen after the toe pops up. My guess is that it was not the toe, and it's more just the game environment. You got to shake it off. Try not to worry about the toe, and just move on to week twelve, where they get the New England Patriots on a short week. So not great. Not great. Uh, Dalvin Cook though, eleven rushes, seventy-two yards. That's six point five yards per carry. Uh, only one target that he didn't catch, but you know, given the game script here and a forty-to-three loss, kind of. I don't know, like a semi-bright spot. Yeah, and he was kind of looking like his old, like, Jamar, poor man's Jamal Charles self, where he was looking like cannon shot in a lot of his runs. You know, 72 yards, I don't think he had a single 20-yarder. So just a lot of, like, chunk gains when he got the ball. Or big gains, I should say. Not, I guess chunk is 20 yards. Uh, but he looked really, really good coming off his best game of the season. I think we can may, remain fairly confident, as we've been talking about on the podcast, that he's going to continue. He's going to have a much bigger second half from a fantasy box score perspective than first half of the season. But yeah, Christian Darisaw, the left tackle, is already out for Thanksgiving night mm-hmm. against the Patriots, the concussion. So it just might be like a tax write-off week for the whole Vikings offense in week 12. That's not ideal, but but no. yeah. Um, well, <laughs> no. And that's what we get to watch Thanksgiving night, right? I know. Hey, guess what? On the National Broadcasting Corporation, so hopefully it's at least close. <laughs> Oh, it'll be a great game, man. It'll be so good. <laughs> Definitely tune in. <laughs> All right, Pat Darty, appreciate it. My pleasure as always. Feel the pulse of the city. Feel the beat of the drum. Feel the bass blow your hair. In Las Vegas, live music delivers much more than sound. It's where music comes alive. With artists like Megan Thee Stallion, Maroon 5, Carrie Underwood, Shania Twain, Babyface, Lionel Richie, and many more. Every show is a playground for your senses. See the full summer lineup at visitlasvegas.com. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Treat Dad to the good stuff at Nordstrom Rack and save big. Father's Day is Sunday, June 16th, and Nordstrom Rack's got gifts Dad will love up to 60% off. Shirts, activewear, watches, cologne, denim, and more. Find amazing deals on Tommy Bahama. Cole Hahn, Original Penguin, and Vince. Great brands, great prices. So get to your Nordstrom Rack store now and make Dad's Day with gifts up to 60% off. Just a reminder that if you don't have the NBC Sports Predictor app, go download it now. The contests are free and easy to play, and you have a shot to win thousands this weekend by predicting what will happen in college football and in the NFL. Speaking of the NFL, there will be two opportunities to win $100,000 this week by playing Sunday Night 7. Your first chance is by guessing the outcome between the Patriots and Vikings on Thanksgiving night, followed by another contest surrounding the Packers and Eagles in Philadelphia on Sunday night. The Ravens defeated the Panthers 13-3 in a game, Denny Carter, where Baker Mayfield was back in the lineup and there was absolutely no value in the Panthers' offense, is, uh, is that a coincidence? Uh, no, it's uh, it's not. It is funny how it works out that way. Uh, Mayfield was as bad as ever. Two interceptions, no touchdowns. Um, just just constant like head scratching throws. Where I, I, I it feels like Baker Mayfield 
uh, believes he has a strong arm and can fit the ball into places where he clearly, clearly cannot fit it. He's not Justin Herbert. He's not Mahomes. Like he doesn't have, I don't even think he has average arm strength, honestly. So, is he PJ Walker even? Right, right. So, so he he tries these throws and and they and they just simply don't work. Uh, and it is it, it turns out to be incredibly bad. He has very little pocket presence when he scrambles. It's almost kind of sad because it's like he has just has no speed, no agility whatsoever. Uh, I, I I don't understand how they're not going to give Sam Darnold a shot here because. I mean, Mayfield by the by, you know, the metrics by a completion uh, rate over expected is the worst quarterback in the NFL, and he showed it today. Yeah, and EPA per play, he's terrible. He's he's been absolutely horrific, and yeah, he's just created the value of this entire offense, especially DJ Moore. DJ Moore yeah. here had five targets, three for twenty-four. Uh, Terrace Marshall led the team with three for seventy-six on six targets. But Shy Smith had five targets, which right. matched DJ Moore. That doesn't seem great. No, uh, and and Shy Smith had twenty six yards to twenty four yards for DJ Moore. Now I, I I think you know it started well for DJ Moore. He had a, a couple targets on the first drive for Carolina. They seemed somewhat interested in getting him the ball. I thought, oh, okay, like you know they obviously they they're going to get him involved early and 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 get him going. Didn't it just didn't work out that way? And this game was close throughout. It was really, really ugly game. One of the one of the worst games you'll you'll watch all year. Um, it was three three in at the beginning of the fourth quarter, just to give you an idea of what was happening. Hmm. And but but the, but the Panthers still did not get it to their best player, even when the game was close. Uh, and DJ Moore, uh, of course, um, of course, I say like like everybody would would guess this going in, but uh, you know, with the Panthers, who knows? Terrace Marshall led the team with 76 receiving yards um, on six targets, which also led the team. Uh, he had a, a, a nice 34 yard catch and run uh, in the second half. So you know, I mean, most of his most of his production came on on that one that one catch. But uh, I guess, I guess he has some deep league value. I don't know what to say about this team, Ben. Well, I mean, the one thing we could count on here was that they were at least going to feed Deontay Foreman. That we could, we know Foreman's going to lead the way in the backfield, so that at least remained the case, right? Exactly. And you know, Foreman. Oh wait, I'm I'm now I'm hearing in my earpiece that uh, uh, he was out, actually out snapped by Chuba Hubbard, twenty three to twenty two. Oh gosh. On the day, and Raheem Blackshear worked in with eleven uh, eleven snaps. Uh, actually, all three. Th- this is this is nice. You know, the the, the Panthers are nothing if not symmetrical. Uh, but all of Blackshear, Foreman, and Hubbard had eleven pass routes on the day, so you have to respect that. Um, <laughs> uh, Hubbard saw three targets. Foreman saw saw one. I mean, th- this is this is the 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 thing with Foreman, right? Is if the Panthers. Well, you know what? Now, as I'm saying it, it's not true because I was going to say if the Panthers can keep it close. He's going to get a lot of touches. They did keep it close. Like this game was close. It was a it was a slugfest, and Foreman did not get much work. Only only those eleven carries didn't do much with them. So I guess I guess my theory is uh, is is kind of blown up here. But you 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 really you you have to know that some weeks Foreman is just not going to be able to deliver in this terrible offense. On the Baltimore side, Mark Andrews was back in the lineup. He went six for 63 on eight targets, but Demarcus Robinson 
led the way here, going nine for 128 on nine targets. What were your thoughts on this passing game? And I'll note that Lamar Jackson threw for 209 yards, no touchdowns, and one interception. Yeah, Lamar struggled uh, bigly in this one. And he had Mark Andrews back, so I'm not really really sure what's going on with Lamar. But, you know, DuVernay ran, had a 93% uh, route rate. Robinson was a little below that. DuVernay has two targets over his past two games. So mm. I think I think that whole situation has run its course. Um, I I don't th- you know I don't think he's playable in 12 team leagues going forward. And, and, and by the way, Demarcus Robinson is only two games removed from seeing a, a team leading eight targets against the Bucks. So it, although he's not going to give you a ceiling like this is Demarcus Robinson, we know what we're getting. Uh, if he's going to see, you know, I don't know, a 25% target share as the wide receiver one, then, you know, he's going to deliver some PPR value. Um, even if he doesn't score touchdowns like he didn't today, but yeah, nine of nine, uh, 128 yards. Um, and he, and he gets open because, because defenses are so focused on taking away Mark Andrews in the middle of the field. Like that is clearly today. Carolina's number one priority on defense was taking away Andrews. And so Robinson was just constantly finding himself open on the boundary. In the backfield, Kenyon Drake led the way, but it was actually pretty close here. 10 rushes for him, 46 yards. Mm -hmm. Justice Hill had seven rushes for 30 yards. Gus Edwards did not play in this game. So there was some optimism about Drake is maybe, you know, a potential workhorse here. That wasn't really what happened. No, it, uh, Justice Hill really ate into his snap share and route share here, uh, along with the carries, obviously. Uh, Last time the Ravens played was week, I guess, what was it, week nine before the bye. Uh, Gus Edwards was out. Kenyon Drake saw 24 touches. So I, uh, as a DFS lineup maker, thought that, you know, uh, Kenyon Drake would be a good play today against the Panthers and positive game script, and it didn't, didn't work out that way. Justice Hill was... You was, thought that in about uh, 39% of the field as well. Thought was that. it? Was it yeah, that high? He, in some of the small stuff, he was insanely oh, yeah, chalky. Right. I also ate the chalk, so... Oh, was man. With you? I, I just... I, have, I, felt like, I felt like it was a good process, Pat, but it uh, turns out <laughs> it wasn't. Um, that steam will get you. Yes. Yeah. The steam blew up right in my face. My face has third degree <laughs> burns now. Uh, Justice Hill was, was better on his touches. I, I think I think Justice Hill should be rostered in, in a lot of leagues just in case. He he has, I'll say, Justice Hill has a very narrow path to fantasy viability if Gus Edwards remains sidelined and if maybe Kenyon Drake gets dinged up or if the coaching staff says, oh, yeah, hey, Justice Hill's actually pretty good. I mean, you know, Back in week three or four, John Harbaugh said, you know, he's playing, talking about uh, Hill. He said he's playing like a superstar, um, you know, so so maybe and this is before his hamstring injury that kept him out a few weeks. Uh, so so I think that he should be picked up going forward just in case. Let's move to the Bengals who defeated the Steelers 37 to seven and a game where the uh, the the. Sorry, where uh, there were three mm-hmm. touchdowns here from mm-hmm. Samaje Pirine because Joe Mixon was knocked out of this game, uh, I believe, yeah. with a head injury. Yeah, uh, concussion. It, he did not return in the second half. He um, he will enter the league's concussion protocol per beat writers. So that's obviously going to be something to watch. 
uh, as they head into week 12 against the um, against the Titans. Uh, Samaj P. Ryan, I mean, look, you know, he is we, we know kind of know what he is. He's a pretty good pass catcher. Um, you know, I, I can you know, report confidently that he's not going to score three touchdowns through the air every week. But uh, he caught four, four of four targets for 52 yards uh, and, uh, and those three touchdowns. One of them was a 29-yard yard catch and run uh, for an early touchdown. He, he did see 11 carries, um, about maybe five or six of those after Mixon left the game. Uh, wasn't good on him, averaged 2.7 yards per carry. But I, you know, if if Mixon is out, then P. Ryan should be picked up and and started. I think as a uh, PPR, I don't know, low end uh, running back too. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, Joe Burrow, kind of an interesting game here. Three hundred and fifty five yards through the air, four touchdowns, but two interceptions. Uh, the guy besides P. Ryan who was powering that was T. Higgins, nine receptions yeah. for one hundred and forty eight yards on thirteen targets. Uh, but he didn't score. The other, the fourth touchdown was to Trenton Irwin, who w- who went three for forty-two on four targets. Yeah, Trenton Irwin, who you know, obviously we he was a uh, another guy getting steam in DFS. No, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, but yeah, he he caught the touchdown, saw the four targets. I mean, H- Higgins had a thirty-three percent target share. Um, you look at you know Tyler Boyd saw seven targets, only caught two for forty-two. Most of that came on a on a late. Uh, 27 yard reception, um, but really just what wasn't wasn't all that involved. I mean, Higgins is just like a target hog when when Chase is out. Now Chase could be back in in week 12 against the Titans, so that could be sort of the end of T. Higgins as a low end wide receiver one. He'll go back to his wide receiver two status. Um, but it, it started slow for Higgins. You know, I I was you know a little little worried about what he was going to do here because um, he wasn't involved in the first quarter. And and then he just he just did whatever he wanted against the the Steelers and the Steelers refused to double team him refused to uh, you know shade coverage in his direction he was just constantly open on the sideline and really did did a number on them uh, could have been could have been a bigger day uh, if him and, and Burrow had been able to connect a couple more times and so they win 37 to thirty here but um, was some of it on the Steelers side kind of garbage time. Yes. Uh, so Kenny Pickett, I don't know, had 50 some yards and almost a touchdown in the last drive. Najee Harris actually scored a touchdown on, uh, on a, on a one yard plunge um, over the top in, in that final drive. So yeah, th- these numbers are a little funky. Um, if you look at, you know, Harris scored two touchdowns. Only one of them was when the game was competitive. He saw 20 carries. Um, he also uh, caught four passes. Now, Harris uh, was was the workhorse even before this happened. But J- Jalen Warren left the game with a hamstring injury. It looked, you know, fairly on the serious side. I mean, he was he was hurting, and the, the Steelers quickly declared him uh, out for the rest of the game. I would not be surprised if we do not see Jalen Warren in Week Twelve, and uh, so maybe maybe Najee Harris can go back to you know volume-based RB2 territory there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully still, you know, he's, he would he would still probably get the, the goal line carries as well. So he'd be in pretty good shape. So George Pickens got in the end zone here, went four for 83. Uh, I did see him drop another ball that would have gone for a touchdown, so that was disappointing. Yeah. But still 
Pretty nice game. Leads the Steelers with 83 receiving yards. Pat Firemuth not far behind with eight for 79. And he had 12 targets in this game. Uh, so big target share for him. Yeah. Uh, Deontay Johnson, normally he's always earning targets and then, you know, not doing a ton with his receptions. But here, he didn't really do a ton with his receptions, four for 21 and only five targets, well behind Pat Firemuth and also behind George Pickens. It was very. It was a very interesting target distribution here. You had a Fryermuth with a twenty-eight point five percent target share. Uh, Pickens way behind that, tied with Najee Harris at six targets apiece, and then Deontay Johnson with five. Now, Deontay Johnson can't get there with ten targets, so yeah, you know he gets five, and he, he has no chance to get there for fantasy. Um, that, that could be like a major, major issue for his viability as a fantasy option going forward. If, if that sort of usage sticks, look, you know, Matt Canada, the offensive coordinator for the Steelers and Mike Tomlin have talked about for two weeks, uh, Pickens having a larger role emerging as, uh, you know, they don't use these words, but as the alpha receiver, uh, after Claypool went to, was traded to Chicago uh, that didn't really happen last week. It seemed to be shifting in that direction this week. Um, my my one observation is that Pickens really, really does not get any separation. He's <laughs> always, always covered. He reminds me of like Devontae Parker in that way. Like, mm-hmm. you know, just, just, I mean, really good, by the way, really good contested catch guy. And he has guys draped all over him and he's making great. He, he made an amazing sideline grab today in that situation. Um, but I just, I just tend to be very skeptical about a receiver who, who just never can separate from anybody. Yeah. You know, generally we prefer receivers to be able to get open. Uh, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, what, as we uh, close out here, any thoughts on Kenny Pickett? Um, just kind of how he looked. Um, I think I tweeted during the game that I think Pickett has entered the pantheon of of quarterbacks that include guys like Baker Mayfield and, and uh, maybe uh, Zach Wilson um, who when they're in the clean pocket and they step up to throw, you'd know it's going to be bad. (laughs) 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 You just, you just, you, you know, most quarterbacks, they step up in a clean pocket and you're like, Oh, here we go. You know, (laughs) he sees somebody and he can do what he can do. He can do what he wants to do here. But with Pickett, he just lets it fly and it just, it just, you know, it misses the target by four yards or he throws it directly into a defender. Uh, I, I just don't understand like where this guy goes from here. He has some, some rushing appeal in fantasy. I mean, he does take off quite often, which is, which is nice. Uh, but even with garbage time, he could barely be fantasy viable today. Mm, okay. Denny Carter. Thank you. Thanks. The Bills defeated the Browns 31-23, to and Kyle Dvorak, this is a game that, as many people know, took place in Detroit. Yeah, I'm not sure if that makes it like an away game for the Browns. I mean, specifically for Amari Cooper, because we know his home road splits are hilarious. He excels at home. This obviously wasn't at home, but maybe they're it also away on the road. Wasn't yeah. It? Maybe they're away and non away. Cause this would be probably neutral, right? I guess some team had to wear the home colors or whatever, but uh, you know, he had a really good game. Even like you would think it kind of looks like based on the, on the box score that, Oh, well he probably just got there in garbage time. Right. But he actually put up almost all of his production outside of just two catches. One of which was a touchdown in the second half though, 
pretty much all came in the first half. So he legit was, as expected, just playing the number one receiver role and played it really well, even had a better first half while the team was playing from ahead. So we're playing, you know, towards being ahead as opposed to the second half, which they kind of fell apart. Yeah, eight for 113 and two touchdowns on 12 targets from Cooper. So, yeah, I mean, maybe it's maybe it's an indoor-outdoor thing. Not but a, he plays out at home in Cleveland. That's, and that's true, well, yeah. Outdoor, too. That's a good point. All right, so that's what it is. It's neutral field. Neutral field tomorrow. Anytime he's on a neutral field, you uh, you got to play him. Uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones scores a late touchdown here. Uh, helps I, I heard helped some DFS lineups uh, today. Yeah, help me on the morning slate. Bink a high-stakes ticket. Sure, I won't just punt that off. Can't imagine me doing something of that nature. But for now, that was good. And DBJ, I think he's got at least 50 yards in something like seven straight games. Like, he's legit stepping up as this team's number two. Like, he gets so many deep shots and intermediate shots per game that, sure, he doesn't have to catch all of them because he catches, like, two passes and he's nearly at 50 yards. So he's he's actually playing pretty well. It was another solid performance from him. I think it's probably safe to kind of fire him up as a wide receiver for this is a good spot for him and the team because they got down by the second half and passed a ton. And Jacoby Brissett, while we're on it, played really well. He even, you know, he got over 300 and had three touchdowns. He had a drive that ended in a field goal in which he threw a nice throw to Harrison Bryant. It was, you know, it would have been a tough catch, but you have to catch this. Just it was like just arms extended, like a, a, an athletic grab, but run of the mill should have been caught. He was two yards from the end zone. No one stopping him from going in. Then another one, you know, this one is another really good throw too to Pharaoh Brown in the back of the end zone. Should have been caught. It hit his hands. Doesn't catch it. And those are two would have been touchdowns. Could have put four on the board. Only gets three. It was a, a you know, very strong performance from Jacoby Brissett, frankly. Interesting. Uh, not a strong performance at all from Nick Chubb on the ground. 14 rushes for 19 yards. This is like the least Nick Chubb rushing performance I could think of. And then... He also added through the air in a very non-Nick Chubb way. Three targets, three for 48 is a receiver. What was going on with the uh, backfield here? Yeah, I think this was Chubb's worst yardage total since, I want to say it was week five of his rookie season. You have to go back that far. Wow. I mean, he, he's held under 20 yards, so obviously like that shouldn't be that surprising, but it is a little bit that you have to go back that long. Like He didn't even get hurt in a game and didn't get to this. It's <laughs> insane. And like you said, he actually saved it by picking up a few, like, it was like on screens that he would break for long runs because like a lot of the best between the tackles running backs, like you get them on a screen out in space and they just do damage. Even if they can, can't run a route to save their life or have stone hands. If you get them in like a, a downhill spot on an outside corner, or even a safety, it's really good. And, and unsurprisingly, it worked out well for Chubb and he still dominated. I mean, I think he had more catches than Kareem Hunt. He obviously outrushed Kareem Hunt. I think Hunt had like five or so carries. So the role was there. He got bottled up in the backfield a bunch and then they got to a deficit. So the rushing production wasn't going to hit and it's a tough defensive matchup. So I, uh, I'm not really concerned about this because the role looked great and he looked great uh, on receiving too. So he's, he's fine. He's, he's more than fine. He's very good. Yeah. On the Bills side of this, uh, we had Dawson Knox lead the way, seven for 70 on seven targets. Um, but that kind of just, I think, maybe speaks more to the down day that was for the passing game overall. And 197 yards and one touchdown for Josh Allen. Gabe Davis went five for 68 on seven targets. Stephon Diggs went four for 48 and a touchdown on five targets. There was also a clip going around of, of him uh, you know, kind of having a conversation there with uh, McDermott uh, on the sidelines. I don't know if you ever like got a word of what that was about. 
So, I mean, I, I can, you know, venture a guess in that I believe up to that point, it's sometime if I had to guess like about the second, like midway through the second, or maybe even like late in the second quarter. I don't think at this point Diggs even had a target. I know for sure he didn't have a catch because I believe his first catch came with like a handful of seconds left. It was it was his touchdown catch with a handful of seconds left in the first half. And ironically, like, you know, we talk about I, I put it in our Slack. I was like, oh, no, you know, Diggs and uh, Diggs and coaches are beefing or whatever. And uh Actually, like the coach just like talked him down perfectly normally, and it seemed like the best upset interaction you could possibly have, which kind of speaks to the difference between like Cliff and Kyler getting into it on the sidelines, and <laughs> then like Kyler just sits alone, and then any Bills player getting into it on the sidelines where like Diggs seemed I don't know about happy after the interaction, but he was perfectly fine. They won the game. So like you can probably afford to have like, you know, have drama on your team i know this is like such a, a dumb non-fantasy thing you can probably afford to have drama on your team when you're really good and a really well coached team because you get along better than when you're very bad so <laughs> so yeah it was like ironically the best coach player argument i've seen maybe that's interesting uh, isaiah mckenzie i'll know here only had one target zero receptions he was someone that i was thinking you know hey he's uh we can count on him to be in a larger role now because he was running uh, a lot of routes last week uh, maybe he ran a lot of routes this week. I don't know. It didn't do anything for him. Uh, any any other thoughts on this passing game? Yeah, I mean, like, Josh Allen really looked rough. He was, I mean, their first three drives were three and out, three and out, three and out. One of them, I think it was because it was a long Niam Hines punt return. It was a field goal, but it was just a three and out that happened to start in good field position. Allen was just sailing the shortest, easiest throws mm. nonstop. It was brutal. And eventually he actually did kind of bring it together for a, a pretty strong second half. And they just had some, I would call it fluky red zone and just drive ending luck where they kicked six field goals, all of which connected a good game from Tyler Bass. So the fact that he didn't look like he did on the first three drives for all four frames, I probably feel fine about it at the end of the day. But early in the game, we know he's dealing with this elbow thing. I started sweating. Like you were seeing him throw some just true like Wyoming Josh Allen passes and he pulled it together. So I, I don't think it's a big deal, but it was worth noting. So it was a very bad start from the team. In the backfield, James Cook matched Devin Singletary with 86 rushing yards. Devin Singletary scores a touchdown. But it's kind of interesting because James Cook had 11 rushing yards to Devin Singletary's 18, yet still matched him 7.8 yards per carry from James Cook pretty impressive day for him in that regard two targets for James Cook didn't catch either um Devin Singletary also had two targets he went two for 11 so neither guy used a ton in the passing game what were your thoughts though uh on Singletary and Cook yeah Cook looks incredibly explosive anytime he gets the ball I'm still I still get the vibe that he's working some stuff out as like you know a technical ability as a rusher early in the game he had a spot where he had probably a pretty easy cutback lane as the play was moving out towards the sideline and he just kind of ended up stumbling into into defenders and not getting any yards where I thought he could have picked up more after that but when he gets a lane he he can hit it he has like true home run hitting ability that's not the only thing that matters for a running back obviously which is why we see Devin Singletary stout here getting more of the carries and even playing you know pass pro and getting targets but if we get for any reason uh like an indication that we'll get maybe a dozen touches for James Cook or plus like as an expectation because the Bills actually kind of got to run the ball out a decent amount at the end of this game if in a neutral script we can say he gets like a 50 50 split which I don't know if we'll see that anytime the remainder of the regular season but if we do I would feel really confident in him being like the DeAndre Swift type of guy where he'll probably miss a hole at least once or twice on a 10, 15 carry sample, but he has true home run hitting ability. 
he looks really good when he gets the ball. Like, he does. It's, he's impressive. <laughs> Let's move to the Raiders who defeated the Broncos 22 to 16 on a walk off touchdown from Devonte Adams in overtime. Uh, Devontae Adams now three straight games with 100 yards and a score, five touchdowns in his last three games. Yeah, Devontae, this guy seems pretty good at football, I'd have to say. (laughs) I mean, he was incredible. And this should have been a very difficult matchup with probably seeing a lot of Pat Sertan. I noticed him get the better of Sertan a few times. And on the, uh, I mean, he was the least covered you've ever seen a star. Like, it's like, you know, when we see Cooper Cup last year where you're like, do they not know that Cooper Cup's this good? Because he's wide open. That was how the Devontae Adams game-winning touchdown was. And to be fair, if you watch his route, he actually sells it like it's going to break to his left and then immediately breaks right. No one, like, I, I assume it was a safety or something. Just completely sold on the on the fake and is gone. No one's there. And uh, he was also pretty open for another 30-yard touchdown earlier in the game. Dominated the targets. The team does not have Darren Waller in this game, does not have Hunter Renfro. I think they're both out another two games at a minimum uh, because they're on IR. Even if they, you know, when they come back, Devontae's obviously going to dominate the targets. But without them, my Lord, this is just the most Devontae-centric team you could craft. Yeah, seven for 141 and two touchdowns on 13 targets. Pretty nice. Really the only other... Receiving production here, like Foster Moreau only had one for 33 on three targets. Matt Collins, six for 52 on nine. I guess that's like somewhat notable. But Josh Jacobs, three for 51 on four targets. Uh, And then he rushed 24 times for 109 yards. No other Raider carried the ball. That's pretty wild. I know. They. I mean, we've seen games where, you know, he out carries his backfield and Derek Carr, you know. 20 something to three to four or whatever, but to literally go zero is impressive to shut out the rest of the backfield. Samir White, well, I don't even think was active for this game. I like think it was inactive, they, yeah. they scratched him this week. They brought Bolden and Abdullah, I believe, who both saw like a handful of targets combined, but uh, it was just the, it was just the Josh Jacobs show on the ground. And even like you said, through the air, it was 40 something yards. He picked up on a, on a really long reception where he was, you know, not too far off from getting it into the end zone to set up the Daniel Carlson field goal that would eventually get this game into overtime. I mean, it was like a, a game saving play, essentially, you know, that there's probably not a strong chance. They with how their offense was performing up to that point, probably wasn't a strong chance. They were getting the field goal range. If he doesn't go nearly yard with this long reception. So it's a really strong receiving game, incredibly strong rushing game. Even if he doesn't, you know, go 115 a touchdown, I kind of care more that he didn't give up a single carry. So he's like, he could really push for like top five or six status from here on out. Yeah, I mean, 100% of team attempts will we'll go a pretty long way. Yeah. Uh, on the Broncos side, it was like one of these situations where like we kind of knew this just was not going to be a good season for this offense. But I, I wrote in the walkthrough like this game, if Russell Wilson can't do something against this Raiders secondary that really is very bad, very vulnerable, then it just cements the season as an absolute disaster. And does this cement their season as an absolute disaster? Yeah, I mean, like, it wasn't a bad game from Russ. He had a few nice intermediate long shots to, to Kendall Hinton, which Hinton actually goes out. He was ruled a touchdown at first. It would have been a 33-yard touchdown. It was ruled a touchdown. Then they review it, and his heel clipped out of bounds before he crossed the plane. 32 yards. They run one in. But, like, that wouldn't – it would have been one touchdown to a sub-250-yard performance against probably the worst passing defense in the league. Really, the fact that that was in or out doesn't swing me on this being like he looked mostly game manager in the spot. Tons of running back targets, tons of shallow targets. And the fact that all you can do 
is game manage that sort of your ceiling versus the worst defense or one of the three or four worst defenses and secondaries in the NFL. Yeah. You should be able to bury a team like this, especially in a game that's close. Like if they ran three in early and just took the, you know, the, the pedal, yeah, the foot off the pedal. Sure. Maybe that's an explanation. There's just no excuse. This was just another, and we've had the final nail in the coffin probably three or four weeks ago, but if you needed another reason to not play Broncos, here you go. Yeah. Just absolutely brutal. Like, uh, you know, in addition to the passing game, let, let's just talk about the backfield real quickly because Latavius Murray had 2.9 yards per carry. Uh, <laughs> Melvin Gordon had 3.9 yards per carry, but Murray had 17 rushes. Murray uh, Gordon had, yeah, Latavius Murray had 17 rushes and Melvin Gordon had eight rushes. Uh, it just seems like it's also a coaching issue, right? Like there's, you're just kind of grinding away downs. Like what, how was the, how are these rushing attempts occurring? Uh, yeah, I mean, like you said, it was uh, a decent amount of like runs on first down. Some of them, like we had a few carries at the goal line, which like if they average, if you're at the one and you average one yard carry, that's fine. But to me, like I do think maybe one of the ways this team could juice their numbers a little bit, and boy, do they need it, is just by sort of leaning into the fact that they don't have much of a ground game. I mean, Melvin Gordon seems close to wash. Latavius Murray is a, you know, practice squad call-up level player as of being on multiple teams this year. And yet they kind of insist on playing a balanced approach. Do I think like they will become a good team just by having a higher pass rate? Definitely not. But do I think that could be a little less embarrassing? I, I mean, I, I think so. And Melvin Gordon did his iconic goal line fumble this week. Yet another one. It was recovered again by the, uh, by the Broncos, but on the three yard line, <laughs> coughed it up Broncos get it and hilariously they give their it was right at the end of the first half uh field goal gets blocked anyways so yeah I mean this team just like executes so poorly they don't have strong play calling there's just nothing you can point to that they do well and a ton of stuff they do poorly mm-hmm. uh let me just get your thoughts real quick on Cortland Sutton Greg Dulcich um you know with Jerry Judy out really the two fantasy relevant receivers here I mean, like, it was a good game from Cortland Sutton because five for 80, I believe. It was his first game or his highest receiving total since something like week three or four. Uh, maybe it was week five. So it was a high for him dating back to over a month. But I, I don't know. I kind of wanted to see more of him going out and dominating the targets when Kendall Hinton, the guy who had to play quarterback for this team when they lost all their quarterbacks a year or two ago to, like, I think it was, like, COVID ruling out, like, that was his number two receiver. A rookie tight end was the competition. And running backs who, you know, we talked about the running backs, are his competition for targets out of the backfield. When you lose everyone, you don't have to be Devontae Adams' level of targets, but I was hoping we'd see a little more from him. Instead, he I think he got two more targets than Dulcich and then uh, one or two other players sat at five targets as well. So it was a good performance. But, you know, I, I actually kind of wanted to see more and we didn't see a ton of that. Maybe that's also on the play calling, though. It's like it's probably a good strategy when you're like when Keelan Doss is your third receiver. Yep. Devontae Adams, double covered. Don't care. Throw it to him. He'll make something happen. And Sutton isn't quite that level of player. But the gap between him and the third receiver on this team, who I don't even know it would either be like Brandon Johnson or Jalen Virgil or something. The fact that I don't know who probably tells me. I think you that's I think to. it's Virgil. Yeah. 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 Or Tyree Cleveland, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Uh, they have a, a Washington character as well. I'm not sure. <laughs> Brandon Johnson got his first career reception, I think, in this game. So the fact that there is still a massive gap in talent between wide receiver one and wide receiver three 
should tell me Cortland Sutton should get a ton of targets. And he didn't. Mm-hmm. I think that is partially, I mean, partially on him. He's not a Devontae Adams level player, but I do blame a lot of that on coaching and play calling. All right, Kyle Dvorak. Thanks. Thank you. Feel the pulse of the city. Feel the beat of the drum. Feel the bass blow your hair. In Las Vegas, live music delivers much more than sound. It's where music comes alive. With artists like Megan Thee Stallion, Maroon 5, Carrie Underwood, Shania Twain, Babyface, Lionel Richie, and many more. Every show is a playground for your senses. See the full summer lineup at visitlasvegas.com. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Treat Dad to the good stuff at Nordstrom Rack and save big. Father's Day is Sunday, June 16th, and Nordstrom Rack's got gifts Dad will love up to 60% off. Shirts, activewear, watches, cologne, denim, and more. Find amazing deals on Tommy Bahama. Cole Hahn, Original Penguin, and Vince. Great brands, great prices. So get to your Nordstrom Rack store now and make Dad's Day with gifts up to 60% off. Download the RotoWorld app to receive breaking player news all season long. Stay ahead of the competition by favoriting players on your roster. Get the latest injury updates, player news, and much more delivered right to your phone. It's available in your app store today. The Saints defeated the Rams. 27 to 20 and Rivers McCown. This was a game where Chris Olave had five for 102 and one. He now leads all rookie receivers in receiving yards. Yeah, he looked, uh, you know, good as you can look on this offense. It was very weird, honestly, to watch this game and then look up and see Andy Dalton through for 260 yards and three touchdowns on 21 and 25 passing because it didn't feel that natural. There were still plenty of breaks. There were still plenty of sacks. Uh, The Saints kind of looked disjointed. But end of the day, that 150 pre-yarder got it done. With the backfield here, uh, Alvin Kamara had 12 rushes for 42 yards. He also had four receptions for 47 yards on five targets. Uh, What were your thoughts on him in this game? We figured out by how much Taysom Hill took over in this game. He had more rushing yards than Kamara. He threw three passes, and most of them were in the red zone. And he also caught a pass. So, like, he's kind of blocking in on Kamara's role here. And that was, if if you were counting on him, that was disappointing. Kamara, I think, only had two red zone touches the entire game, despite the Saints being there, I think, four or five times. So, not great for him, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, you have to be hoping that Taysom – isn't a long-term form and as Thornton has said. Any thoughts on Jawan Johnson or any other the pass catchers here? I'll note Jawan Johnson got in the end zone again here, three for 47 and a touchdown on four targets. Jarvis Landry also scored three for 33 and a touchdown on four targets for him. Yeah. Jawan with the, uh, what was the fifth touchdown in five years? Uh, three, three in a row. So, Definitely paying off if you streamed him or if you've picked him up already. Um, uh, kind of boxed out Jalen Ramsey on his touchdown. 
It wasn't like a cheapie at all. It looked really good doing it. Um, Landry kind of came back, was sort of involved, not really. Um, yeah, this was like a big Taysom Hill game. It was very disorienting. On the other side of this, yeah, I mean, <laughs> the Taysom Hill stuff is not not great for anyone except uh, except some best ball bros. But uh, on on the other side of this game, we had another running back that I'm not really familiar with on the Rams side, Bryce Perkins, who had five for 39. But Cam Akers did lead the way, 14 rushes, 61 yards. So you know that's that's something. We you know do we have any kind of reliable value here in the in the backfield? I'll, I'll note as well. Kyron Williams had seven for 36 on the ground. So okay, uh, Bryce Perkins is the backup quarterback. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> he, he comes in and immediately busts off a 23-yard uh, run. That's the longest that the Rams have had all season. So good stuff. Good stuff from Bryce Perkins. Uh, Matt Stafford got concussed in this game. Again, um, first day, technically evaluated <laughs> right. for concussion. Okay, so that makes a lot of sense then why we're we're seeing Bryce Perkins. I was expecting, uh, I guess, to see John Walford if, if we were in a backup quarterback situation. But Tutu Atwell here had one reception on one target, but it went 62 yards for a touchdown. Allen Robinson also scored four, four, four for 47 and a touchdown on five targets. Tyler Higby had four for 45 on eight targets, but with Matthew Stafford only throwing 18 times before leaving with a potential concussion and throwing for just 159 yards, and then Bryce Perkins only having five for 10 and 64 yards, not not a ton of value here in the receiving game. Yeah, 2-2 two, two, uh, got, got to have the long one. That's the, his second in two games. Allen Robinson is pointing. But then, like, you realize all of his passes came with Stafford on the field. So kind of tied to that. I don't know if you should be upset about 447-1. You need to kind of save you a little bit. But also, that's just basically like a standard Allen Robinson line at this point, minus the touchdown. Uh, Higby kind of got like a late 20-yarder uh, to kind of salvage his day. He was not really that involved, even though he had eight targets. Uh, a lot of his targets were just that kind of like play-action float. Uh, with Perkins down the stretch, and you sh- you know you're like throwing it up, uh, hoping that they didn't cover the guy, but they always cover the guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, Van Jefferson, I'm just there, not really a big part of the, the game plan at all. All right, Rivers McCown, appreciate it. The Eagles defeated the Colts 17 to 16, and I covered this game. It was a game where the Eagles did not score their first touchdown until the fourth quarter. Really. Uh, a disappointing game here for the Eagles offense. They struggled throughout most of this game. Uh, A.J. Brown had a costly fumble in this game. He caught it over the middle. A ball punched out. Uh, that was unfortunate. It was also unfortunate that A.J. Brown had a couple different receptions called back due to penalties that were not uh, penalties on him, but rather penalties on the rest of the offense that uh, cost him additional yardage here. He had seven targets in this game, went five for 60 did not score. In fact, the only offensive uh, touchdown that uh, Jalen Hurts threw, the only passing touchdown, I should say, went to Quez Watkins. He had two for 31 on two targets. Uh, Jalen Hurts ran in the Eagles' other offensive touchdown. Uh, He had 16 rushes, 86 yards, and that score, Jalen Hurts' rushing touchdown was the game-sealing score for the Eagles, um, the final score of the game. Uh, which which came in the final minutes of the game. So 
Uh, Hurts, you know, not a terrible day. 16 rushes and 86 yards, like I said, with the touchdown. But not a good day passing. 18 uh, completions on 25 attempts for 190 yards and and one score. Uh, Devontae Smith had six for 78 on nine targets. Not a huge game. We didn't see anything from these tight ends filling in for Dallas Goddard here. Jack Stoll only had one target, went one for seven. Uh, Nothing from Tyree Jackson, uh, nothing from Grant Calcaterra in the box score here. So, yeah, there wasn't really just much to say uh, with the Eagles. They they were not kind of firing on all cylinders. Uh, Jalen Hurts also, I should note, lost a fumble, kind of a strip sack. Um, and, yeah, just kind of like penalties and errors uh, hurt them in some key spots. Now, I don't think anything to be like too, too concerned about. Uh, Colts defense, you know, fairly solid. But, you know, the Eagles have had a pretty easy schedule so far this season. Last couple weeks makes you a little bit nervous about what they might be against, uh, you know, some stronger defenses or at least not kind of cupcake defenses going forward. On the Colts side, uh, you know, Matt Ryan back under center here again, 32 attempts, 213 yards, does not throw for a touchdown. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, uh, he had 22 rushes for 84 yards. He does score, you know, a pretty, pretty short touchdown run that he had, but he did rip off a 28-yard run that was pretty nice in this game. One thing for Taylor uh, I'll note is that in kind of pure, like, I don't want to say garbage time, but, you know, they're now down 17 to 16. So uh, desperation mode because there was just no time left. Uh, not garbage time at all because if they score, they win the game. But uh, very much desperation mode, and he was not in the game. Deion Jackson was that running back, you know, the kind of the pure – like hurry up mode running back at the very end of the game. Now, Deion Jackson, the final play of the game, he catches a um, catches a reception on, I believe it was fourth and 21, and kind of like makes a little move and runs, basically like kind of basically runs out of bounds with, you know, nowhere near, uh, I don't have exactly how many yards, but it was like a four-yard pickup or something on fourth and 21. I mean, it was – it wasn't a very heady play, I don't think. I mean, you'd rather have him pitch it back or something as opposed to just running out and having the game end there. So, uh, you know, maybe uh, maybe we don't see that going forward. Maybe we see Jonathan Taylor in that role. I don't know. But it wasn't a great sign for Taylor that he wasn't the back there. And Deion Jackson kind of mixed in throughout the game where, you know, that 94% snapshot that we saw from Jonathan Taylor last week that was not really the, the kind of usage that we saw here. I mean, certainly the clear lead rusher, he did get four targets, but Jackson also got four targets. So that like just kind of off the charts elite usage in terms of playing time for Taylor, probably related to the fact that John Jackson was not available last week. Now that he is, uh, you know, Taylor obviously going to get plenty of work uh, like he did in this game, but, you know, maybe not quite as much as he did uh, in Saturday's first start or Saturday's first uh, game as a head coach. Uh, one thing I'll note with Taylor is that he did lose a fumble, kind of a weird play where, you know, like Taylor's momentum had probably stopped, but other people were pushing the pile forward. And in that kind of scrum, the ball got punched out. Uh, he lost that fumble. So, you know, not exactly like on Taylor to a huge extent. Uh, I think, you know, under, under most circumstances, the play would have kind of already have, had stopped. You know, he would have been tackled by that point, I think. Uh, so nothing too concerning there. Michael Pittman here had seven targets, six for 75. 
Paris Campbell had six targets, five for 67 through the air. Alec Pierce actually led the receivers with eight targets, which is kind of interesting. He went three for 28. But, yeah, I mean, it was not like Matt Ryan was definitely dealing with pressure and uh, didn't look didn't look great in this game. He had some decent throws throughout. Uh, but, yeah, it was, it was just not a very strong game for either offense. Um, and really, I mean... The Colts were leading like 13 to 3 for a long stretch of this game. It wasn't until the very end where the Eagles were finally able to, you know, kind of get back in it. And then they were the Eagles were still trailing until the very end of the game. Get that go-ahead score, and there's essentially no time left after that. And that go-ahead score facilitated, I should note, by a very long pass interference penalty, which got them in scoring position. Um, Miles Sanders, who drew that penalty, didn't really do a ton. He had 13 rushes for 47 yards. His longest rush of the game was only 10 yards. He had one target, caught it for one yard. So, you know, kind of as you would expect with there not being that much offense here for the Eagles, there wasn't much in their backfield as well. But let's get to the Patriots who defeated the Jets 10-3. to This was an absolutely brutal game. The Patriots get the win, their 14th consecutive win, by the way, over the Jets. Pretty wild stat there. But they get that win with a game-winning punt return touchdown, which prevented this game from going to overtime. It was 3-3 throughout the entire game until that that punt return touchdown. Neither team scored a touchdown on offense, obviously. And, you know, it really felt like that when you're watching it. Uh, You know, on the Jets' side here, they had in the second half just like one of the worst halves of football like maybe ever, they had seven possessions in the second half. They totaled two yards. The offense had two yards in the second half. It was unreal. Uh, Zach Wilson had just nine completions in this entire game. The Jets punted nine times, so he had as many completions as the team had punts. Uh, He had 77 yards total passing. Uh, he didn't throw an interception, but he certainly could have. Uh, one throw comes to mind where he just, it's like he, it's like the weird thing about Zach Wilson. Denny was actually talking about with Kenny Pickett how, you know, when he steps back in a clean pocket, you know, early in the podcast, mentioning that you just know nothing good is good is going to happen. Zach Wilson really, I mean, when he, he kind of, he sets up the throw, he delivers the throw. The throw has like a nice spiral on it. The throw like looks great. But then the result of that throw is often really bad. And uh, he almost had an interception on on what looked like kind of as he was releasing it, like, oh, this is going to be a really nice throw to the sideline. But I don't. I guess he's like maybe didn't see a defender that was almost able to kind of undercut it. Uh, wouldn't have been for a pick six, I don't think, because the defender kind of had to leap to make the grab. He probably would have fallen and gotten touched down. But it was the type of uh, interception had it been an interception that can easily lead to a pick six because the defender's going the other way full speed. If he is able to intercept it in stride, then, you know, could have been six. And and this is the type of game where like any, any mistake was going to, uh, you know, win the other team, the game, because there just wasn't any scoring in this game whatsoever. And sure enough, that punt return at the very end is what, what uh, won the game for the Patriots in Wilson's defense. It's not like he had a great rushing game, you know, and then he could kind of work off that. There was nothing going 
um, at all for the Jets. Michael Carter had 2.4 yards per carry, eight rushes, 19 yards. Uh, James Robinson had 10 yards on seven carries. I mean, just truly, truly nothing on the ground. Ty Johnson had four carries for four yards. So, you know, the yards per carry gets worse and worse as you move down the depth chart here. Uh, in the receiving game, Denzel Mims led the way with 35 yards on six targets. He had two receptions. Elijah Moore, I guess, like technically back in the mix here, two for 17 on four targets, but I don't think uh, all that encouraging. Garrett Wilson, you know, completely disappeared here, two for 12 on three targets. This is a good Patriots defense. I, I mean, maybe a very good Patriots defense. So I guess, like, I don't want to. I don't want to like take too much away from this for the Jets. They do get the Bears next. Uh, they could be much more efficient against the Bears. Obviously, they're not going to be like an incredible offense, but uh, this was this is this was terrible. This is like literally as bad as it could get. But you know, maybe maybe we just write this one off uh, as just kind of a defensive battle. Uh, and it was a defensive battle because you know, although Mac Jones had 246 passing yards, you know, far more than. Zach Wilson, he doesn't throw for a touchdown either. Um, and it just was not a good day for the Patriots offense. They had some success on the ground. Damon Harris, Damon Harris looked good. I mean, I will say, like in a game that really didn't have anything going, Damian Harris looked looked good. Uh, he had burst, he was kind of ripping off chunk plays. He had a long run of 30 yards, you know, in a game that really, really lacked for explosive plays. He jumped out. Um, several times just kind of watching, I, you know, kept commenting to myself, like Damon Harris looks good. Uh, he, he is, uh, definitely had like kind of some of that same explosion that we were used to seeing more last year. He looks very healthy to me. Uh, he had eight carries to Ramondre Stevenson's 15 and Ramondre Stevenson had six targets. He, he went six for 56 through the air. Uh, Damian Harris had two targets going two for 28. So Stevenson had, you know, he had 21 uh, touches to Damian Harris's 10. So a much, much bigger workload. But Stevenson was pretty inefficient as a rusher. 15 rushes for 26 yards, just 1.7 yards per carry. Damian Harris averaged 8.1 yards per carry. I do wonder if maybe we see a little bit more of Harris as a rusher and Ramondre's more of kind of the receiving back. It wouldn't surprise me based on how Damian Harris looks here. That's something to keep in mind. They play... Um, they play the Vikings next. So uh, I believe that's Thursday night. So, um, you know, that'll be kind of interesting. Wouldn't shock me if things sort of swing that way. Through the receiving game here, Jacoby Myers had four for 52 on six targets. He's still the top guy here. Uh, Johnu Smith, four for 40 on four targets. He uh, almost lost a fumble that was like an embarrassing fumble. He was like switching the ball from one arm to the other and just lost it and he did end up coming down on it and uh and end up recovering his own fumble but it looked kind of got lucky to recover his own fumble i feel like uh the jets should have been able to fall on it and did not so that was kind of goofy but you know I, I i don't think he's particularly fantasy relevant so it doesn't really matter that you know either way but it was definitely kind of an interesting moment in the game and then outside of of those two there wasn't really any production in the passing game uh, Hunter Henry only had one reception for 20 yards on one target. Devontae Parker had two for 19 coming back from injury. Uh, he only had two targets, though. Uh, Kendrick Bourne only had one for eight on one target. Nelson Aguilar, two for 18 on three. Tyquan Thornton had five yards 
actually the second straight game that he's only had five yards. Um, I feel like you can drop him, to be honest. I, I don't really know what we're even hoping for here now that Devontae Parker's back. I think it's kind of Jacoby Myers is the only like flexible guy in, in among these wide receivers, and it's just hard to really hope for much upside. It's very much a run-based team. And like I said, I mean, I think this is a very good defense, so they're not, I don't think, going to have to pass a ton at any point, um, or at least not predictably. Um, but yeah, Ramondre Stevenson and, and Harris is probably where the value is going to be going forward. We're going to have to watch the split on that uh, as as we move forward. But, you know, Stevenson, I will say, tied with Jacoby Myers for the team lead with six targets. So even if Harris eats into more of the rushing workload, which he might not, um, but even if he does, Harris or uh, Stevenson's still very strong in the receiving game, which I think, you know, makes you feel pretty good about him as probably a high-end RB2, uh, almost regardless of what happens with the rushing workload. But that'll do it for the Jets and the Patriots. All right, that'll do it for the Week 11 Recap Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Leave us an iTunes review if you enjoyed the podcast. And we have some extra content or some, you know, kind of some special content heading into Thanksgiving uh, this week. I'll note that uh, my column, The Walkthrough, which uh, usually comes out on Friday, the normal version will be out on Friday, but I'm also doing a Thanksgiving version. You can look for that. Uh, which should be out on Tuesday, I'm targeting, but uh, well ahead of of the Thanksgiving game. So look for that. And then we're also, we will be doing our regular Thursday uh, uh, preview podcast, except it won't be on Thursday this week. It will be on Wednesday so that we can talk about, um, you know, all the games and and uh, and dive into this fun Thanksgiving uh, week of football. And of course, next Sunday night, we will be doing the recap podcast. Uh, look forward to... Uh, to going through the week 12 recap podcast and we'll see you then feel the pulse of the city feel the beat of the drum feel the bass blow your hair in las vegas live music delivers much more than sound it's where music comes alive with artists like megan the stallion maroon five carrie underwood shania twain babyface lionel richie and many more every show is a playground for your senses See the full summer lineup at visitlasvegas.com. Treat dad to the good stuff at Nordstrom Rack and save big. Father's Day is Sunday, June 16th, and Nordstrom Rack's got gifts dad will love up to 60% off. Shirts, activewear, watches, cologne, denim, and more. Find amazing deals on Tommy Bahama, Cole Haan, Original Penguin, and Vince. Great brands, great prices. So get to your Nordstrom Rack store now and make Dad's Day with gifts up to 60% off.